Do I have your attention? That's what Jesus did when he walked into the temple on that first day of the last week of his life. But he didn't just do it to get attention. He did it because Jesus flipped religion upside down. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So welcome, everyone. I'm glad you're here. If your heart's pounding a little bit, that's good, right? You guys are ready to hear this message today. My name is Matt Wolf, and I'm the lead table flipper here at Arise Church Denver. Uh, actually, I'm the lead pastor, but I do what I need to do, right? And sometimes you do have to flip some tables to get some attention, and that's what Jesus did. And we're going to talk about today in this whole series, it's a seven-week series we started last week, that, that we see this aspect of Jesus in his final week of his life, where he comes into Jerusalem, finally announcing who he truly is, the king of kings. And he made a lot of people mad and upset, but he did it because he was revolutionizing the world, flipping the world upside down. So I hope today you will be challenged through this message. Um, we are going to be in Luke chapter 19, just the very last four verses of Luke chapter 19. Um, we're going to be starting in verse 45. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that and, and open it up with me. If you um, are on your smartphone or on a tablet, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and you can find all of the scripture that we're going to be using today as well as being able to take some notes. Because today in this message, we are going to um, talk about the three things that Jesus did as he flipped religion upside down. And it's, it's really three aspects of who Jesus is, because Jesus is our temple, Jesus is our priest, and Jesus is our sacrifice. And symbolically, that's what he was showing as he went into that temple at the beginning of his last week of his life. So let's look at uh, verse 45 together. I'm just going to read these four verses, and then we're going to dive in to see the, the symbolic meaning behind Jesus's outrageous actions. Verse 45, it says, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. Verse 46 is, it is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Man, my little stunt was nothing compared to that, right? Verse 47, every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So Jesus here, this is the shortest account of Jesus clearing the temple here, right? And in Matthew, we're told that he did flip tables over, the tables of the money changers. In Mark, we're told that he drove out all the people that were, were selling. He wouldn't let anyone bring in animals at all. In John, we're told that he made a whip. Now, I've never made a whip, but it probably would take some time to think through it, right? See, Jesus was angry here. He was upset because it's okay to be angry, but the anger of Jesus, the anger of God is different than our anger, right? Because God has said again and again that he's slow to anger, right? Jesus had this premeditated. He knew what he was going to do. He was upset. He was angry because of what they were doing, and we're going to talk about it today. But it was a righteous anger, right? So he knew he needed to upset the apple cart. He needed to flip some tables to get their attention and to prove this point, this theological deeper truth that Jesus flipped religion upside down. So in this passage, um, I want you to focus on this first thing because this really is some deeper theological truth that Jesus is, is demonstrating here that, that gets fully realized in just this last week of his life, because the first thing I want you to see here as Jesus enters the temple courts is that Jesus is our temple. Okay, if you're taking notes, that's the first thing. Jesus is our temple. 
If we are followers of Jesus, he is our temple. He is the last temple. That's why we don't need to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is our temple. Notice in verse 45 that it says, when Jesus entered the temple courts. Do you see that? He entered the temple courts. So I have a little picture here because a lot of us have a trouble to imagine. So this is kind of a diagram expecting, uh, kind of producing what the temple courts would have looked like in Jesus' day. This is considered Herod's temple because he was the one who funded the building of this temple. It was the third version of the temple because it had been destroyed a couple times before that. And Jesus would have come in, and you can see there's this big, wide-open space all around the temple. Those were the courts. Do you see that? These are the temple courts. And then inside there, there's an inner court. And then even beyond there, there's the inner inner court. And, and each level of courts had a different level of people that could go in. So if you were a follower, uh, if you were a Jewish follower, a believer in God, you could enter those inner courts. But anybody who was not Jewish could only enter the outer courts. In fact, these are often called the courts of the Gentiles. So they could be out there. Anybody could come visit Jerusalem. If they believed in God or they thought maybe God was real, they could come into those courts. Anybody was welcome to come. And that's where Jesus walks in, and that's where he's going to set up shop for the next few days as he's teaching over and over again. He's, next week we're going to see, for the, actually the next five weeks, we're going to see Jesus teaching this special teaching in his last week of his life that was very authoritative, flipping things upside down. But here we see um, Jesus in the court of the Gentiles. So why am I pointing this out? Because that's where all this ruckus was going on with people selling animals, with money changers, with all sorts of people. They were taking up the space for the Gentiles. Why is that important? Because there's evangelism going on right here. There are people who are far from God, and God wants them to come near to him. From the very beginning, even when God picked Abraham, he's going to choose Abraham and choose Abraham's family. He says, I'm blessing you to bless the nations. I'm not going to set my on one sights on one people group. I want to reach everyone. I want everyone to know my love. And so this is the court of the Gentiles. They can come. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is 1 Kings 8, when Solomon builds the first temple. He dedicates it. And he prays in this dedication. He said, God, I hope and I pray that when Gentiles come here, people from other nations come to this temple, their prayers will be answered so they will know that you are the one true God. Even the Gentiles can come to you and believe. And have their prayer answered. It's evangelism. And yet here are all these Jewish people selling merchandise, making a big business scheme out of it, and basically robbing people. When people are supposed to have an encounter with God. A fascinating thing in verse 46, Jesus um, is uh, quoting a couple scripture here. He says in verse 46, it is written, he's talking about these Old Testament scriptures, Jewish scriptures, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer. That first reference comes from Isaiah chapter 56. But most of us don't know the full reference. In Isaiah 56, it says this, God is speaking through the prophet. He says, I will bless the foreigners, the Gentiles, all the peoples of the earth who commit themselves to the Lord. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, right where they are, right? And will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I want the nations to be happy, to find salvation, to find eternal life. And then it goes on in verse 7, the second half. It says, I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for what? All nations. All nations. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. He knew all these Jewish people would have known this reference. He's talking to the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees. They knew the Bible. They knew when Jesus said, this temple will be called a house of prayer, they could have finished that sentence. Prayer for all nations. And here they are, by their actions, driving people away from that encounter with the one true God. That's why Jesus is angry. God loves these people. He cares about them. He wants them to know him. How can you stand in the way of that? Get out! Jesus was mad. And as we saw two weeks ago, you remember our message? We are supposed to be a church that represents this. And as a church, we're going to be an every nation what? Congregation. Every nation congregation. Because God cares about all peoples of the earth. No matter nationality, ethnicity, skin tone, God wants them all to come to him. Yeah. So Jesus is upset here because of this. These Gentiles are supposed to come to the temple because it's in the temple that they could encounter the presence of God. It, we don't have a temple anymore, so we don't really think back there, but, but a temple was, was the house of God. Does God live in a house? No, even in the Old Testament, God's like, I, I don't live in a house. I'm everywhere. <laughs> I created everything I'm, I, throughout the whole universe. And, and yet, he decided, because he loved his people so much, that he would come and live in a house, temporarily, so that people could come to him and experience his presence. That's what the temple was, the presence of God among them. And here were these religious people getting in the way of others coming to encounter the presence of God. That's evil. That goes against the entire purpose of the temple. So Jesus is upset. He's angry. He says, we can't do this. We want people to encounter the one true God here, to experience his presence. You know, every religion of the world has some kind of sacred place. If you study all the different religions, they all have different sacred places. It might be a city like Mecca that you go to. Or it might be you need to go to the Ganges River to get washed in the river. It might be uh, over in Salt Lake City in the Temple Square, right? Every religion has a sacred place or multiple sacred places where you go and there, there people think that's where you encounter God. And, and in Christianity, for a while, or in Judaism, there was a temple, right? And it was set up. But when Jesus came, as he's going and symbolically flipping over the tables, driving out people from the temple and setting up his station here in the temple, he is proclaiming that he is the temple. He's flipping religion upside down. And he would even say this. If you read this account in the Gospel of John, right after he flips the table, drives out people, makes the whip, right? He's not even allowing any animals in there in John. And then right after it, he said, you destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up again. Because he wasn't talking about the physical building, was he? He was talking about himself as the temple. There's this fascinating scripture at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 21 where it talks about heaven. And it talks about the new earth because heaven comes down to the new earth and heaven and earth are one. And it says this in Revelation 21, 22. If we have that verse, Revelation 21. No, we don't have it. Well, guess what? It's in my Bible even if I didn't put it in the slides right. Revelation 21, 22. It says, I did not see a temple in the city. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Did you know that? We don't need a temple anymore. Jesus is the temple. There's never going to be a temple again. 
We don't need to go to a place. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, he lives inside of you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is upset, and he's like, I'm flipping this upside down, okay? You think you need a sacred place to go to. You think you need a temple. You don't. Come to me. Come to me. I am where you will find the presence of God, eternal life and joy everlasting. So I'm telling you guys this, is that this place is pretty cool. we got a great space here, Hangar 61 on the historic registry. It's over-renovated. It's cool, right? But you don't need to be here. That's why we can worship online, right? And why we can even worship in a hangar, okay? <laughs> but let me tell you this. You can worship in the shower. You can worship in your kitchen. You can worship on your commute. You can worship at the office. You can worship at school. You can worship before the test. You can worship after the test, right? Okay, you, you can worship in a hangar. Wherever you are, Jesus' presence can be with you. We don't need a sacred space anymore. We don't need a sacred space anymore. That's why Jesus flipped religion upside down. It's not about the place. It's about the person. It's about the person. So that's the first thing that Jesus flips upside down. It's not about the place. It's about the person. And if it's about the person, that means we don't need a temple and we don't need a priest either because Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our priest. In um, verse 45... It says, it is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So he's describing prayer. What is prayer? Communication with God. And you communicate with someone you have a relationship with. Jesus says this encounter with God is supposed to be communication. It's supposed to be a relationship with God. Now, I think it's really fascinating because the people who were selling animals here, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, were selling animals so people could sacrifice because sacrifice was commanded in the Old Testament by God. But Jesus drives out the sellers. In John, he drives out all the animals. Well, weren't they supposed to keep sacrificing animals? Like, what's going on here? But I think these people were robbing them, yes, financially, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but he was also robbing people of their encounter with God. That's the stealing here. He's mad at these Jewish people. How, how could you do this? How could these merchants come in here and rob people with their encounter with God because they're supposed to develop a relationship in prayer, in communication. And that's what priests were supposed to help with. Did you know that? Every religion has a priest because a priest is this religious person who they have the special connection with God. They know how to pray. They know how to talk to God. In other religions, it might not be a priest. It might be a shaman. It might be a special wise guru um, it, or a prophet. But there's these people. They have the special connection with God. They can speak to God, and God can speak through them. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Everyone needs to encounter God. It's a house of prayer. And Jesus is setting himself up here as the final priest. You don't need any of those priests anymore. You don't need to come to them to get your sins forgiven. You don't need to come to them to talk to God. Come to me. And that's why he sets up court, literally in the courts here for the next few days. And he's the one teaching. Who cares about the priest? Listen to me. Because Jesus is the priest. It's really interesting because it does say they're robbing. Everyone would have had to come into the temple to pay the temple tax. If you were a Jew, you had to tithe your money and all this stuff that was proportional to your income, but you, everyone had to pay the same flat tax of the temple tax every year. It was the same amount. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but you had to pay it every year, the temple tax. 
there's this story where Jesus has to pay the temple tax. Peter's like, I owe some money. And Jesus says, go look in that fish. Pulls out a coin. Crazy story. Yes, it's crazy. Jesus did some crazy stuff because he's all God, okay? Did some amazing miracles. But you had to pay this temple tax. It's the same amount for every person. And when Jesus was flipping over tables, he was flipping over the tables of the money changers. Why were there money changers? Because people had to pay the temple tax. And they came in from all over the Roman Empire with different coins. And they weighed different amounts. They were worth different amounts. And they came, and they had to exchange currency. But as any of us who have ever traveled to a foreign country know, what happens when you exchange currency? You get robbed. Yes. Man, they upped the price so much, right? You got to pay all these fees and everything. Okay, and that's what happened. These guys would set up, yes, we're going to do this service for you. We're going to change money for you so you can pay the temple tax. But we're going to take our cut. And the priests want to cut too, so we're going to have to take a little bit higher so we can give them. They're robbing people here because they were giving their standard tax that everyone had to pay at the temple. They're robbing people of this. The priests are. This is crazy because this is what priests do in every religion. They make up rules and rituals and prayers and clothes that you have to wear in order to get right with God. And they're the ones who know God, so I guess that's what God wants. So I got to go through these rules, I got to learn these prayers, I got to kneel, I got to stand, I got to wave my hands. Whatever they tell me to do, I got to wear those clothes, right? That's what priests tend to do to make more and more rules and regulations and restrictions and make it harder and harder for you to get right with God. Even this temple tax has to be the exact denomination, and we're not going to make it easy for you, you got to pay more. They make it harder for people to come to God, right? And that's wrong. What Jesus is saying is, we've got to make it easy because I'm the priest. Jesus wants it to be easy to connect with God. As simple as possible. Just come to me, talk to me. No matter who you are, even if you don't know the words to say, it tells us in Romans 8, just cry out and the Holy Spirit will take whatever is on your heart to right to the, the ear of God. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. You don't need any of that stuff. Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian, says, uh, Jesus does not give recipes that show the way to God as other teachers of religion do. He is himself the way. You don't need these recipes. You don't need these rituals. You don't need all these extra things that are getting in the way. So I'm telling you this because you need to learn to go straight to Jesus. If you want to be right with God, talk to Jesus. You don't know the words to say. You don't know the special prayers. That's fine. Talk to Jesus. People often ask me, I don't know how to pray. Well, you don't need to. Do you know how to talk to another human being? Talk to Jesus. He hears you. Don't know how to talk? Just grunt. He can figure it out. <laughs> Read your thoughts. Go to Jesus. It's easy. Jesus flipping religion upside down. Do you see this? And this means, too, as a church and as Christians, we need to do whatever we can to remove obstacles because Christians are just like other religious people, aren't we? We tend to make more rules and rituals and hard things. You got to wear those clothes. You can't do this thing. But in Acts 15, 19, there's this big debate when Gentiles started coming in droves to follow Jesus. And in Acts 15, Jesus' brother James stands up. He became a leader in the early church. And, and James said this. He said, we should not put any additional obstacles before any Gentiles who are turning towards God. Remove the obstacles. Don't put extra rules and regulations. Who cares if they're Gentiles and they haven't been circumcised? That's a pretty big rule to get over in order to come to come to God, okay? Let's not add that extra one. No obstacles. Make it easy as possible. And we as a church must be the same way. My church in Nebraska, I remember the first year there, when, when I got there, it was with very slight exaggeration, 60 people over 60, right? 
But we had one high schooler in our church, one high schooler. Awesome. So we, Melissa and I started a youth group our first year there. We, all you need is one high schooler, right? We, we can get started. And I remember because there was a man from our denomination who came, and it was, it was not the group that we were a part of as a church. It was a different group, okay? Man from the denomination came, a much older man who had been a pastor, served for years and years and years. And I remember he came because he looked at that one teenager in our church, one high schooler, and he saw the holes in her jeans. And he said, you need to wear something more respectful to church. He was never invited back. And I told her, I said, you can wear whatever you want in here because we need you here in church, okay? So if you're here, you can wear whatever you want, okay? Yes, okay. You can have holes in your jeans, yes, okay? You can wear whatever you want, just come because I don't want to put any extra obstacle in the way of you and Jesus. Come to Jesus. And if we make obstacles, I hope we can tear them down. Not make it hard. Make it as easy as possible. You can be in your underwear at home right now. Just come to Jesus, okay? Amen for that, right? So this is the second thing. Jesus is our priest. Come straight to God. He's flipping religion upside down, isn't he? But the third thing we need to see here is that Jesus is our sacrifice. He's our sacrifice. It says in verse 45 that those, he's driving out those people who are selling, right? They're selling. And probably what they're doing is price gouging. Anybody in here been to Mile High Stadium? Ball Arena, right? Yeah, you, you work over here at Ball Arena, right? Okay. Man, it costs $18 for a hot dog, doesn't it? 25 for a beer, right? They can charge whatever they want because they've got the location and there's like nowhere else to go, right? Same thing happened in the temple. People would come from hundreds, thousands of miles on a pilgrimage, and that's what they were at that time for Passover. The one time a year, some of them would see the temple, and they would come, and they couldn't drag their, their sheep the whole way there to offer a sacrifice. So they would sell the sheep back in wherever they were, and they'd come, and, and they would take their money, and they'd want to buy a sheep, but now it costs three times as much as it did back home. These sacrifices. And this is the exact opposite reason why sacrifices existed. So every religion um, has some sort of sacrifice, either sacrificing an animal like these ancient religions or sacrifices that you have to do. You have to do penance, you have to do this hard work, you have to do all this labor, all these different things that you have to do to sacrifice for God. Because we all sin and we do wrong things, so in order to get right with God, we have to offer sacrifice. It has to be costly. It does have to cost us something. And that's how all religions the world over have always been. And God actually was very clear in the Old Testament. He wanted to make it easy for people so he gave very specific rules about sacrifices. This was actually very good news. Some of us read this stuff and we're like, man, that's some crazy rules in the Old Testament. You read Leviticus, man, that's crazy. But here's the reason why God did it. Because in other religions, they didn't know what God wanted. So they're like, let's give it a sheep. Somebody else is like, well, I think we need to give a bull. Somebody else is like, I'm going to give my firstborn son. Whoa, right? And God is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you exactly what you're supposed to give, okay? I don't want your children, Okay. So he made it easy. And I want to show you this in just one section, Leviticus chapter 5. In just this one chapter, if you find out that you have sinned against God and you want to go offer a sacrifice to get right with God, you want to pay something costly because you know I've messed up and I want to get right with God, he says this. First, he says, go find a female lamb and sacrifice it. Pretty simple. One lamb covers over sins. But then it says in Leviticus 5, if you can't afford a lamb, because that might be too costly for somebody, 
He says, just go find two doves or two pigeons. Interesting. I've thought about this a lot. Because where do you find pigeons? Everywhere, right? You're in a city, you can find a pigeon anywhere you want. We used to have a pigeon that lived up here. If you want to get a pigeon, you just have to catch one, right? <laughs> I can just met Jesus, or God is like, okay, I know you can't afford a lamb, just catch a pigeon. So there's probably people running around trying to catch pigeons all over the place. Kids were probably doing it like, hey, I can save you some money and some time. I'll catch the pigeon for you and sell it for your nickel, okay? It's just easy stuff. You can get a pigeon anywhere, right? Okay, somebody online, I want you to put a dove in the comment section. People are going to think we're talking about the Holy Spirit today, and you're like, nope. Okay, so somebody do that online. Can we do that? Just a dove emoji. I want to see that. Okay, so, so you're catching a dove or you're catching a pigeon. But then it says, God says, if you can't even afford or find a dove... Guess what? All you need to bring in is two quarts of flour. He's very specific. Don't even put oil in it. I don't want it to be fancy bread, okay? Just want the flour. So I looked up online here how much it would cost for us to get flour, and I know it's different than the, the, you know, the, the centuries before Christ, right? But if you wanted a quart of flour today, it would cost you 63 cents at Walmart. 63 cents. That's like nothing, right? But there's still a cost God didn't want to remove all cost. He wanted to say, I want you to know that it's costly. You've sinned. But I'm going to make it as easy as possible for you to get right with me. That's the point of the sacrifices. And yet here, they're charging way more than they need to at the temple, robbing people of this chance to get right with God. And that's wrong. That's wrong. And that's why Jesus is mad. So what Jesus is doing is he's symbolizing here as he's driving out the animals, we're done with sacrifices. He already predicted, and he's going to predict again at the end of chapter 21, the temple's going to get destroyed, never going to be rebuilt. No more sacrifices ever again. Because Jesus is symbolically saying right now that he is the final sacrifice. We don't need to do this anymore, guys. Because there is a cost to pay, but I'm even going to pay that for you. You don't even need to pay 63 cents anymore. Because Jesus paid it all. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, we read, The priests do their work each day, and they keep on offering sacrifices that can never take away sins. But Christ offered himself as a sacrifice that is good forever. The one final eternal sacrifice was made in Jesus Christ on the cross when he died and shed his blood for you. And it's that way because he was the perfect spotless lamb, the one and only son of God. And when he died on the cross, it was the end to all sacrifices, the perfect final sacrifice. This means that your past, present, and future sins are all paid for once and for all. Jesus is saying, we're flipping religion upside down. We don't need sacrifices anymore. I'm the final sacrifice. See what Jesus is doing here? It's symbolic action, but it's so important for us to understand. We believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, not man-made religion. And Jesus needed to flip all religion upside down. Jesus is our temple. Jesus is our priest. And Jesus is our sacrifice. So we must go straight to him first and always. First and always. Um, Dick Lucas, a great British preacher, tells this story. And it's imaginary, but it's good. He, he says, just imagine a first-century Christian moving into Rome for the first time, and he's meeting some of his neighbors. So here's this Roman says, hey, I hear you're religious. I hear you're religious. Um, so, so where do you worship? Where's your sacred place? Where's your temple? 
What does the Christian say? We don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. Well, uh, well, if you don't have a temple, where do your priests perform all the rituals? And the Christian would respond, well, we don't have a priest. Jesus is our priest. And that Roman would be like, wait, wait, I don't understand. Where then does the, where do you do the sacrifices to appease your God and get right with God? And of course, the first century Christian would say, we don't have sacrifices. Jesus is our sacrifice. And that first century Roman would have been like, what kind of religious is this, religion is this? And of course, the answer is, it's not any kind of religion. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's completely different than any religion that came before it or it's come since. It's different. And the way of Jesus is so good that I want you guys to go straight to Jesus with it. And I hope I got your attention with that today. I hope you don't leave here today thinking, oh, I still got to do all these things to get right with God. I still got to go to this place or, or go do this. No, no, no. You're right with God through Jesus Christ, the temple, the priest, and the sacrifice. So I want to take just a moment right now um, to, to give you an opportunity to respond to God, to get right with God, because some of you need to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your ultimate sacrifice to atone for your sins. And then you are made right with God now and forever. So I'm going to give you that opportunity to do that. And then whether that's you or, or whether somebody else in here, we're going to have two people get baptized this service. That's pretty exciting, right? Yeah. <laughs> Baptism does not save you, but it tells the world that you are saved. So we have two people making that decision today. And if you're here and you're feeling a tug in your heart to do it, listen to the Holy Spirit, okay? <laughs> go get baptized. And in fact, if you go over here to the back, Dave, Dave is going to help you out. Dave we, is going to be in the back. We have um, T-shirts. We have shorts. We have towels for you. There is no reason for you not to get it. We want to make it as easy as possible for people to get to Jesus, right? Okay, so we got everything ready for you. We'll dunk you today, okay? So I want to give you that opportunity to join these two in the water as we publicly declare and celebrate with them that they have said, Jesus is my temple, my priest, and my sacrifice. So let's all close our eyes together right now. Lord God, we come to you, and we are so grateful that we can talk directly to you. I'm grateful that I'm not a priest, that every single man, woman, and child in here or watching online or listening to my voice can go straight to you. Thank you for being our priest. Thank you for being our temple, and thank you for being the final sacrifice for our sins. Lord God, we are so grateful because we all sin. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But that one final sacrifice paid it all. That's why we say all to him we owe. Um, and Lord God, um, I just pray that you put it on someone's heart who needs to get right with you today, that they would do it. So with eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this good news of Jesus Christ and accept his gift of eternal life that he purchased for you on the cross. So if you're here and you're ready to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you a simple prayer. It's not magical, but it's going to give you an opportunity to talk to Jesus and receive that forgiveness. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud, repeat after me, so that you can give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. So please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me. I accept your gift of eternal life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you and go to you for the rest of my life. Now with eyes closed, if you said that prayer today and meant it, if Jesus is now your Lord and Savior for the first time, I want you to shoot your hand up into the air. Can you put your hand high? 
Put that hand up in the air if you're ready. Praise God. Praise God, yes. Wow. Lord God, we celebrate those who make that decision, and we celebrate those who decide to go public with that decision as well in baptism. Pray that you'd bless them as we celebrate with them and with your angels for those who have found eternal life in you. Thank you. Amen.